Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. We are in a pandemic of fatherlessness. In America alone, 18.3 million children live without a biological step or an adoptive father in the home. The ramifications of being fatherless are severe and often irreparable. Children who grow up without a father encounter higher rates of poverty, abuse, and neglect. They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, commit crimes, and go to prison. But restoration is on the horizon. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5 declares that God is a father to the fatherless. He draws the orphan to himself and writes them in his glorious lineage. Children of God, fatherless, no more. All right, all right. Uh, welcome, uh, as all the pastors and worship pastors and Jake preluded. Um, it is the snowpocalypse of 2021. Uh, but what I find that's so ironic that exactly a year ago this weekend was the first weekend that we were shut down because of COVID. So last year, we're shut down because of COVID. And this year, it's because of a snowpocalypse, but it's not going to stop the Lord coming into your house. You know, thank God for this technology that we're able to come together regardless of what's going on in, in the world, regardless of what's going on in COVID and epidemics, pandemics, whatever's happening, God is here and God is good. Uh, so I just want to say it's an honor to be able to speak to you this weekend. As always, um, my name is Pastor Daniel. For those of you who don't know me, I'm in charge of the overall we can fill when it comes to guest services and so on and so forth. Uh, but as always, it truly is an honor. I take it very seriously. And I believe that the Lord got a word for all of you, but we are in a series called Fatherless No More, and I thought it would be fitting to do a few dad jokes. And you might be asking why? It's because I have the mic and you don't. So these are my 11 favorite dad jokes. The first one is, if you see a crime at the Apple store, does that make you an eyewitness? <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Yes, it's, dad jokes are simplistic and they can be witty. All right. Number two, did you hear the rumor about butter? Well, I'm not going to spread it. All right, number three, you're American when you go into the bathroom and you're American when you come out, but what does it make you while you're in the bathroom? European. <laughs> all right, this one's for all the mathematicians out there, and I'm going to repeat this because it can go over people's head. Five out of four people admit that they're bad with fractions. Five out of four people admit that they're bad with fractions. Here's another one of my favorites. Uh, my son screeched, Dad, you haven't listened to one word I've said to you, have you? And I thought to myself, what a strange way to start a conversation. <laughs> uh, the number one, uh, why do melons have weddings? Because they can't elope. <laughs> yeah, these are getting cornier and cornier. <laughs> number seven, this one is for Christians. So if you're watching this, I hope you get this one. How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. All right, there we go. Number eight, why was the coach yelling at the vending machine? Because he wanted his quarterback. <laughs> I told my wife that she drew her eyebrows too high. And when I said that, she looked surprised. <laughs> Number 10, which U.S. state is famous for its extra small soft drinks? Minnesota. All right. Number 11 and the last one. If two vegans get in a fight, is it still considered a beef? 
And there is my 11 favorite dad jokes, but I thought it would be fitting. Thank you, yeah, for the people sitting here. Hopefully you're clapping at home and you're laughing with your family as well. Uh, but I thought these would be uh, funny and fitting uh, just to, to warm up. You know, I know you're at home getting all cozy with your hot chocolate, with your coffee, but I just wanted to make it a little more fun. And in doing so, I thought it was fitting in the series of Fatherless No More. Fatherless No More, this is the fourth and final message of this series. The first two were Pastor John, and then last week we had Pastor Jake talk about the spirit of adoption. All three of the messages have been absolutely incredible. I highly, highly recommend you guys going home and and watching it. Uh, Actually, you are home, so just watch it since you are home. Um, But if you're not caught up, watch it again, and it's it's absolutely amazing. But uh, one thing that has stuck out to me when it comes to fatherless no more series it essentially is just the father's heart it's a series about the father's heart and churches all across the world talk about this because it is essential to our beliefs if you can't understand and if you can't see the way that the lord looks and feels and loves you then how are you supposed to reciprocate that love to others because guess what it is a commandment for us to love others as ourselves But how do we do that if we haven't experienced that? How do we do that? How do we say that to people? How do we um, define it to people if we haven't experienced it ourselves? And I remember when I was a youth pastor, I forgot the series title, uh, but it was about the Father's heart, and it was really, really hard for me. It was really hard for me to come up with messages, to come up with ideas of exactly what I was going to say. And then what changed everything is when I had my son Malachi, When my son Malachi walks into a room, when my daughters walk into a room, there's just this pride out of my heart. I look at them and I'm like, those are my kids. Those are my kids. And it's just a fraction of how our heavenly father feels about you. I mean, the worship team, when you were up here, you don't think your heavenly father was smiling down at you? You don't think that he had a pride in his heart and saying, those are my kids, those are my daughters, those are my sons. Oh my gosh. Church, you don't think when you're doing what God created you to do, that God's not down smiling and saying, that's my son, that's my daughter. He is prideful about you because he loves you and you are so, so special to him. So when I finally had my son and I started to to understand what it was to have this love, what it was to reciprocate this love out, I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, that's what I want you to do. I want you to shed some light to to the people that maybe haven't fully experienced the the full love of God, or maybe they just, uh, they haven't tried to go after it. Maybe they haven't had children. Just because you haven't had children doesn't mean that you, you can't experience the love of God. And I felt like what the Lord said is, I want you to shed light on it. And I felt the ways that he said, this is how I want you to shed light was by this. I want you to tell them three traps that they can fall into. Three traps that affect the way that people see me. Three traps that affect the way that would convolute, that would get in the way of them truly understanding how they love you. And the first trap, it's going to be something that you do. Something that you do that affects the people around you. And in the second trap, it's going to be something that you do and affects you at an individual basis. And then the third one is this this picture of God that has just grasped the culture that we're in right now, that's grasped my generation and generations before and after. And I want to hit these all in the butt because I want you guys to truly and authentically know how our Heavenly Father feels about you. So the first one I want to talk to you about, the first trap is abandonment. 
is abandonment. And I know right off the bat, you're like, Daniel, that's a non-issue. I'm never gonna leave my wife. I'm never gonna leave my husband. I'm never gonna leave my kids. But I think if you actually look into the Bible that there's many different forms of abandonment. I think for humans, we define it as this. Uh, a perfect example is my father's father, Buddy, left him. Left him and his brother and his mother at a very young age. I'm, my grandma is an incredible human being. For everything that she went through and to raise the men that she did, it just, I'm in awe. And I hope you're watching, grandma, because you are someone I look up to dearly and you're an amazing human being. But I think that's how we as humans would define abandonment is just leaving, is just leaving them. And yes, that is a form of abandonment, but what about emotional abandonment? What about emotional support that you need? That's considered abandonment. Yes, you can leave physically, but you can also be there, but not be there. And that's what I wanna talk to you. So if you guys follow me, I'm gonna read you Exodus 18, one through seven. And it goes this way. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, uh, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, uh, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in a wilderness where he was encamped to the mountains of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you and your wife with your two sons, uh, with her, sorry. Uh, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So I think this is a scripture that a lot of people can read and just brush over and be like, oh, okay, Jethro just was bringing Moses' family, Zipporah and the two children back to Moses. But I think if you actually wanna get into the, the, the nitty gritty of it, you need to understand the, the time frame of how long they had been separated, okay? So rightly so, Moses sends them away to protect them from the 10 plagues, okay? So the, the, the 10 plagues, and then they also had to confront Pharaoh, okay? Those are the things they had to do. But after they got there, after they went through the exit of Egypt, after they passed the Red Sea, they roughly say, historians roughly say, theologians roughly say that it was about three months from the Red Sea to, to God's mountain, which is Mount Sinai. And then in that, uh, if you go back, they, 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 this, is, this is a conservative guess. They say about nine months for the, the confrontation of Pharaoh and including the 10 plagues. So they were gone for a year. Okay, they were gone for a year. They were separated for a year. And it should raise red flags if, if, if you get out of danger and the first thing that you do is not to call for your family. For three months, Moses didn't call for his family. I wonder if Jethro actually wouldn't, if he didn't bring it, if Moses ever would have called. I'll call you when we get to the promised land. Well, guess what, Moses? You never made it to the promised land. And other interesting things in this scripture is that it mentions Jethro as his father-in-law four times. Okay, Moses was the author of this. Why do you think he did that? Because he had absolute reverence and respect for Jethro. So the first thing that Moses does is when he brings the kids, Moses goes to his knees and kisses Jethro. And then they don't, he doesn't say anything about his kids. I don't know what happened, but it says they went into the tent to talk about business. 
And that right there should raise red flags. And that is the abandonment that I want to talk to you about. If you were to ask yourself the question, honestly inside you, honestly, have you ever hid behind chores? Have you ever hid behind work to avoid your family, to avoid your friends? You see, regardless of where you're at in life, regardless if you're married, regardless if you have children, regardless if you're a teenager, if you're in your 50s, we are all constantly at the potential point of falling into this trap of abandoning the people that we care most about. It's always right there. Every second. And Moses was an incredible man of God. Absolutely incredible. But why didn't he call for his family? And I would argue the fact that since he is human and he's finite and he's fallen, that he was abandoning his family. And you might ask the question, well, Daniel, he had to leave the Israelites to the promised land, right? Yes, but the second you get married, the second you have children, your number one priority is your family. Regardless of what you do, regardless of how big the challenge is, regardless of how big the calling is, God is a family man. God cares about your marriage. God cares about your kids. And your number one job once you get married, your number one job once you have kids is to care for them. And I know at some point, you, 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 maybe you have to pick up a second job and I'm not saying anything against that. I've had to pick up a second job in my life. I understand that I, it's a season, but where's that season leading? Is it ending? Are you just going to continue to be like, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work. And I know the teenagers in here, the people that are single are asking, Daniel, is this even applicable to me? 100% it's applicable to you. It's applicable to everyone. I remember a story as a teenager. My sister Katie, uh, she, she's a pastor, she speaks here. Um, she, uh, she had like 500 boyfriends in high school. And, and, and Dave and I, you know, being her little big brothers, because like at the age of four, we were bigger than her. Um, and we I actually, there was like two out of like 500 boyfriends I liked. And, 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 and one of them was JJ. So like, and he's, and he is the hands down the best. I am so glad that JJ married Katie. He uh, makes everything so good. And I really do. I love you, man. Um, but, but this guy, I, I forgot his name. I, it's, it's not even worth remembering, but he, um, he like, avoided calling my sister for an entire week. Didn't talk to her. Didn't say if anything was good or bad. Just didn't talk to her. And I come into her room and Katie's crying. I'm like, what's going on, you know? And she's like, well, my, my boyfriend, um, he, he's, uh, he hasn't been talking to me. And I said, what's his name again? She told me. And I didn't have his number, but I did have Facebook. And so did he. And I got on and I wrote him a very, very friendly, um, colorful letter uh, just telling him how much I appreciate him and how he treats my sister. Um, and he responded within five minutes. So it was uh, very well. Um, but I say this to you, that any position that you have in your life, you have the opportunity, one, to protect people from abandonment, but two, you can have the trip and fall into that trap. It's always right there. And I know this can sound harsh, but church, if I can be real with you, if I can be your pastor and pastor you a little bit here, it's something that every human can stumble into. I stumbled into it. I remember, um, I was always asked the question, Daniel, what was the hardest? Uh, from being single to married, or, or going from zero kids to one kid, or going from one to two, or three to four. And hands down for me, it was zero to one. 
Like it was, I, I, you know, I don't know if I was young. I don't know what it was, but I felt um, I was selfish. I was selfish. I, I wanted to continue to live my life. I wanted the same responsibilities. Uh, I wanted to be able to go hang out with my friends still. I wanted to go on date nights still. I didn't want to wake up in the middle of the night. And I will be honest, I was selfish. Uh, it is something that Holly and I had to um, reconcile in. And um, it was, uh, I was an idiot. And it took, it took years for Holly to forgive me and understand where I was coming at um, but I fell in that trap of abandoning my family. And it wasn't until um, one night, we, I came home from work and, and Malachi was already asleep. And Holly goes, you wanna watch a movie with me? I said, yes, absolutely. Because most nights at that time, I was saying, I just, I need alone time. I need alone time, I need alone time. So she'd be like, okay, I'll go upstairs and go to sleep or whatnot. And then, she has to watch a movie this night. She said, you want to watch Click? And Click is a movie about Adam Sandler. Um, let me give you the premise of it. He, um, he's, a, a, he's a man that's, he's got this job. Uh, he's got a busy life. He has two kids, uh, a wife. And this job is just driving him and making him do crazy amounts of work. And he's sick on top of it. So he goes to Bed Bath & Beyond, Beyond is how they say it. And he gets this remote where he can start fast forwarding. And he, he's fast forwarding through his life. And the first thing he fast forward is, I just need to get over the sickness. So he fast forwards it. And it skips to when he's done being uh, sick. Now you can go back, he can go back, but he's like invisible. So he can see what happened, but he can't interject in what's happening. And uh, the second thing he does, I just need to get done with this project. Fast forwards, okay, and he's done, all right? And then the next thing he's like, I just need to fast forward until I get this new promotion. So fast forwards. But lo and behold, the, the remote learned your tendencies. So every time he got sick, it would fast forward and jump to when he was done being sick. Every time that he wanted a new promotion, it would fast forward until he's done with the new promotion. Every time he needed a project done, it would fast forward to that. And it culminated all the way up to the end of his life where he was divorced, his children like... They loved him, but it wasn't that love that you want as a father. It cared for him, um, but he was able to be rich and successful. And he fast forwarded through this entire time of his life. And then there's this point at his son's wedding where he goes to his mom and he goes, where's dad at? And she's like, oh, stop being silly. You know, dad passed away a few years ago. And I want to show you this video. And just remember, this is Holly and I are, are sitting on the couch watching this, but I want you to guys pay attention to this, please. Hmm. When did you get so handsome? So, Michael, I had a wonderful idea. Your mother's playing canasta with her friends tonight. I thought, oh, what a great opportunity. You, me, and Ben should go and have a boys' night out. Can't. What do you mean you can't? You have to eat sometime. We could go, we could whistle at pretty girls. <laughs> I'm down for that. See, he's down. I don't know what it means, but he's down. <laughs> hey, please. Don't give me that finger. I'll make you a deal. If you come, I'll show you the quarter trick. Will you look at the man? I'll tell you the secret. No, Dad. Don't you want to know how I you do the stupid trick? I've always known. Can you let me do my work? You've always known. I'm so sorry I parched in. <laughs> 
See you later, Grandpa. I love you. Dad. Bob. Bob. Too deaf. I'll miss you. You know that. Goodbye. I know that it's a funny uh, movie, and I don't know what it is, but the Lord always just speaks to me in movies. And in this moment, You guys ever watch a movie or have that smell or see something that just brings you back to that moment? So I'm sorry for my emotions, but I just begged Holly for forgiveness. I said, forgive me. And I know it has to do with his dad, but I was just like, I don't want to miss any moment. Not one moment with my, my wife, not one moment with my kids, not one moment with my family, my nieces, my nephews, my friends. I wanted to take advantage of every second. And I apologized and I repented that night. See, really, what it comes down to, abandonment, is simply this. It's you're running away from your responsibility or you're avoiding an issue. You're running away from responsibility or you're avoiding an issue. And that is exactly what I was doing at that time in my life. It is all rooted in fear. I was scared that I was going to hurt Malachi, my son. I was scared that I wasn't going to be a good enough father. But that's not an excuse. That moment drastically, drastically changed my life. And I felt like the Lord gave me a secret of how to avoid the trap of abandonment and it's to be present. It's to be present in every situation. No matter where you're at in your life, be present with your friends. If you're newlyweds, be present with your spouse. If you're dating, be present. Be present, be present in every moment. Actively listen, have conversations. Be present when your child wakes up at 3 a.m. because they don't feel good. Be present when your son comes in at 6 a.m. and says, Mr. Son's awake. Be present in every situation that we have. And I, I want to say something to the young parents right now because that's the season I'm in. I know it's hard. My dad always said that the, the, the days are long, but the season is short. I have my son that's going to preschool next year. And I'm like, oh my gosh, your entire life you're told it goes faster and faster and faster. It does go faster and faster and faster. And one day, just like with Adam Sandler, I know it's a movie. He's going to wake up and you're going to wake up and realize, where did it go? 
You only have your little ones for so long. You only have your teenagers for so long. You only have your young adults for so long. You only have your grandparents for so long. You only have your aunts and uncles, your friends. There's a season for everything. Take advantage of every single moment and be present in every single moment. Everything. And that was how you would avoid the trap of abandonment is, is, is being present. The next uh, trap that I want to talk to you about is receiving worth from man. Receiving worth from man. Uh, so as always, I love to pull um, from the Bible on stuff like this. So I picked two stories. One story of Jacob and Esau and then another story of David. And Jacob and Esau, um, I'll get into, I'll read the scripture and then we can get into it. So if you want to follow, it's Genesis 25, 21 through 26. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why, what, uh, why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time will come, uh, came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with a thick hair of fur coat. Uh, so uh, they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with the hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old with, uh, when the twins were born. born. So as always, it's, it's, if you're not digging into what the actual scripture is meaning or really going after it, because the Bible is living, it's breathing. So the more you read of it, it comes alive. You see things. Uh, but this is an easy one of those scriptures just to read by it. And you're like, oh, okay, Isaac, you know, they had it, blah, blah, blah. But if you actually looked at the definition of what Jacob meant, and if you looked into the definition of what Esau meant, uh, I think, again, Isaac was another incredible uh, man of God. But one thing he struggled with was giving identity to his children because their name was their identity back then. You have to look in the culture of Hebrew time and that day and age, their name was their identity. So I actually have the definition of what Jacob means. The name Jacob comes from the biblical story of Jacob's birth, where he came out holding the heel of his twin brother Esau. The name comes either from the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew root, meaning to follow, to be behind, but also to supplant, circumvent, assail, overreach. So pretty much every single time Isaac was saying, come here, Jacob. He was saying, come here, supplanter. He's saying, come here, second place. He was saying, come here, not a worth enough. Every single time. He was speaking into that. Esau literally just means red and had hair. It's, what are you thinking, Isaac? So every single time that Isaac was calling his sons, they had no identity behind it. And it was no rumor that Isaac didn't want Jacob to take the lineage of his line. He wanted Esau. He wanted Esau. But Rebecca wanted Jacob because the Lord told her that day that the older will serve the younger. So she was going off the promises of God. And I guarantee she told Jacob those things, but that wasn't enough for Jacob. Jacob lived the whole first part of his life. I don't know how many years exactly trying to be Esau, trying to receive the approval from his earthly father. And don't get me wrong. It's absolutely important that we speak into identity of our friends, of our family, but that shouldn't come as number one. I remember this story. Um, I, 
So I, I, I grew up, you know, I've, I've been at Jubilee forever, literally since day one. I've seen it grow and I've seen it come to what it is today, you know, the new building, everything. And I remember, uh, I just, in high school, I didn't care. I cared about chasing girls, cared about sports. And I remember my Catholic buddy goes, Daniel, I didn't realize how big of your pastor your dad was. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, dude, your dad's like a, a huge pastor in the, in the area. And I was like, it just never meant anything to me. He was always my father. And it still didn't at that time. And then I remember we graduated and, and I went to YWAM and God absolutely just destroyed my life. I, I want to be a pastor and I come back home and I'm working for Jubilee. And in that time uh, where, where you know my friend was saying this, it just started to build up this reverence and respect for my father as it should be, let honor be due where it needs to be done, but it almost came to a point where I was putting him on a pedestal equal to God. And if we put a human being on a pedestal that's equal to God, you have to look at it as this. If it's a brick wall and you're tearing out the middle, eventually it's going to fall and crumble. See, God's not a brick wall. God doesn't crumble. But when you put humans, someone that's finite and fallen, equal to God, and they do something, they sin, they mess up, then your world tumbles. And then you have a negative connotation. You're saying that person did it, but it must be God. And I remember my dad had to sit me down and he said, Daniel, you are putting me on an unfair level that I cannot, I cannot, I can't be that person to you. I can't be that person to you. I remember we would golf and I would be like, he would talk smack or something. I'd be like, oh, shut up. And then that, later that night, I would have to call and be like, I am so sorry. Like, please forgive me for saying shut up. And, and he was like, Daniel, stop apologizing to me. Stop doing these things to me. Let me be your dad. And it was from that moment on that I was like, okay, because guess what? In that moment, just like Jacob, I was trying to be somebody else. I was trying to be my dad. I was getting my identity out of my dad rather than getting my identity out of the Lord getting my worth out of the Lord. And it wasn't until Jacob wrestled with the Lord that the Lord said, you are not, no longer Jacob, but you are Israel. And the definition of Israel is you have fought with God, you have fought with man, but you have prevailed. So what God is saying is you are no longer second place. You are a prevailer. You are no longer a heel grabber. You're a winner. The very country of Israel today exists because of that day. And what happened was that Jacob got his worth from the Lord. He started listening to the promises of what God said he was, rather than what the world says you are. How many of you have been beaten down by what the world is telling you who you are? How many of you have been beaten down because they're telling you how you need to be like How many of you struggle with that identity so much because from a young age, you have had people in opposition against you, not believing in you. And I'm here to tell you today that you need to believe in the promises that the Lord said about you. And you may be like, Daniel, I don't have any of those promises. I promise you do. Just go through the Bible. Those are the basic promises about you. But as soon as you get that mature enough where he speaks into your life, this is who you are. This is the kind of voice that you have. This is the kind of pastor that you are. You're not your father, you're yourself. And that was six years ago. And I absolutely still have that, that respect for my father, but he's not on the same pedestal as God. And clearly there's gonna be some stuff where, you know, we have same mannerisms, we have the same jokes, stuff like that. But that doesn't mean I'm trying to be like him. 
That's genetics. <laughs> That's what happens. But I promise you, the Lord wanted to encourage you today by saying, believe in the promises that he has said over your life and who you are and don't let the world come in. So let's talk about how we defeat this trap, how we don't fall in this trap. And I, 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 I'm not gonna read the scripture. I'll just let you know what it is. I, I got it out of, um, um, sorry, give me one second. First uh, Samuel 16, six through 13. Um, and it's all about um, um, David. Okay, so uh, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Uh, King Saul, uh, from the outside, he looked like a mighty man. From the outside, he looked like a mighty man of God, a true king of Israel, a true king of Israel. And actually, what's, what's funny about this, uh, and I didn't even think about this, but the only reason that Israel got a king was because the people were begging to have a king. But it was always intended for God to be the king of Israel. So maybe God is saying something right there about your lives. Maybe you're constantly pulling and wanting a king in your life. Okay, give me this, give me this, give me this. But what God intended was he wants to be the king in your life. The intention, what he created you to do is to have him be the king in your life, have him be the center of your life. And yet we're always saying, I need this. I need this king in my life. I need this king in my life. I need this king in my life. But all God is saying is I'm your king. I'm your king, I'm your king. But because God loved Israel and that was his chosen people, he gave in, he said, okay, we'll give you a king. So he did Saul and Saul in the beginning was an incredible, incredible king. But then he started to get this pride and he started to sin and he started not to listen to what the Lord was saying and not being obedient. So the Lord told Samuel, who was the prophet at the time and said, Saul is no longer fitting to be the king. Go and anoint the next king of Israel. So he goes and he goes and God says, it's going to be in the town of Bethlehem in the lineage of Jesse. So they go and, and, and Samuel goes, let's go to the sacrifice, invite all your, all your sons. So he invites seven of his, his sons. He has eight sons. Okay. And, and Samuel goes and looks at the first one. Oh, this must be the king. This must be the king. And then the Lord says, which is, this is very, very important. Don't look on the outward appearance, look in the inward appearance. And he goes through the six other brothers. Nope, 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 nope. And then finally, Samuel goes to Jesse and he goes, hey, do we have any other, um, do you have any other sons? And he goes, yeah, I have one, but he's, he's, in, he's in the field uh, shepherding the sheep. He's in the sheep, don't worry, he's the youngest. He's, he's not the king. And Samuel goes, no, we're not gonna sit down until you go get him, go get him. So he goes and gets him. And instantly Samuel knew that he was gonna be the next king. And he's a young boy, so he anoints him. Okay, but I think if you look at David's life, you can understand a few things. One, from the very beginning, he didn't have a father that believed in him, okay? He didn't have the prophet, the person who was the communicator to Israel saying uh, from the outward appearance, this must be him. It was his brother. He was like, this must be the king. This must be the king. So right off the bat, he has people that are going against him. And what you realize is that David did not care. I can just imagine David in the fields, just worshiping the Lord, just soaking him in and really just filling himself in. So the trap of not getting your worth from man is not on the outward appearance, it's on the inward appearance. Where are you at? Could someone say something to you and it so affect you that it would change your entire life? I mean, David had people trying to kill him from a young age. People that were jealous of him. People that wanted him dead. They were going after him. 
but he never wavered. He always kept himself humble, always. And he always got his worth from the Lord. That was never a second question in his mind, in his body, in his soul of who he was, who his identity was. And I believe that that is the secret of not falling into the trap of, of getting your worth from man. Guys, always pursue that. Always trust the promises in your life of who God has said you are. Always and forever. So no matter what is happening in our country, no matter what's happening in the world, no matter what's happening with wars, with pandemics, with anything, that we can stand and we will not waver if we are strong in our identity. And the Lord is constantly saying that about you. He loves you. So as I was saying, the first trap is one that we do that can negatively affect the people around us. And I showed you the way that we beat that is through being present in every situation. Because whether you believe it or not, uh, through friends or through marriages, uh, through any relationship, friendship, that, that who you are, it can, it can exemplify God in a good way, but it also can tarnish the image that, that God has to others. So we always need to be aware, be, be present. The second one is, um, that when we don't get our, our, um, our worth from God and we get it from man, that it causes us to stumble and chase. Um, you know what? It's, it's interesting. Really, if you don't get what your father gives you as a child, you'll be chasing it the rest of your life. If you don't get what you get as a child from your father, then you'll be chasing it the rest of your life. And that's exactly what Jacob was doing. And we beat that by getting our identity and knowing who he is, who he's called us to be by getting our worth from him. And the last one I wanted to talk about, um, it, it's really just, um, um, I don't know how God, God just put this in my heart and I, I felt like he said, there's a lot of people dealing with this right now. And it's that God is exclusive. God is exclusive. And I, right off the bat, I, I wanna say, I understand um, clearly in salvation, there's exclusivity, like there, there has to be. Um, but, but God's a God of inclusivity. God doesn't want just the people that, I mean, if he felt that way, then wouldn't, don't you think he would have come back already? He wants as many as his daughters and his sons to come to heaven with him. I mean, John three sixteen. he so loved the world that he gave his only and begotten son. He did that because he loves you. And I feel like there's a lot of people dealing with this, of, this imagery of God just standing from heaven like this with his arms crossed and angry and being like, no, I can't believe you did that. That's a sin. I'm writing this down. But really what God is doing is he's smiling and his arms are open and he's saying, you are my children. And to the people and the kids, his kids that are lost and haven't found him yet, he's just standing there with his arms open saying, I want you. I created you for this relationship. And I know as you guys are sitting at home with your families, maybe you're sitting home and you're alone and you're looking and, and, and hearing this message and you may call yourself a Christian, but you have this negative connotation of God being like, no, I can't be a part of that. I'm not good enough. You know how you can tell that God is not a God of being exclusive, but inclusive, is all you have to do is look at the 12 disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors. 
A lot of them in the eyes of society were nothing. Do you think that if God really, you know, cared all about that, that he would have picked the richest and the most powerful back then? God doesn't care about social status. Yes, he cares if you're suffering, but what God cares about is you, regardless of where you're at in society, regardless of where you're at in turmoil with his relationship with you. He wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And in this apocalypse of 2021, maybe this is the moment in the time that God is calling out to you and saying, come to me, come to me. His arms are open. And yes, in salvation, it's exclusive. That's a beautiful thing. Because if you believe every religion leads to heaven, then that is the same as believing that our religion doesn't get us to heaven. He's exclusive on that matter, but he is so inclusive, inviting people and constantly grafting people into the tree of life. He wants you to be a part of that tree. He wants you to be a branch in that tree. Out of all, out of all of the names that he could go by, out of all of the names, he could have been fair dictator. He could have been, oh, merciful one. He could have been all these things king, and he is those things, but what he wanted us to call him was father. How beautiful is that? That the Lord of everything, that he doesn't demand us to call us these certain names, he just wants us to call us father. And you know what it is? It's because he wants to be your father. He wants you to understand how much he loves you. Can't you just imagine God crafting you in your mother's womb and God just being like, this is my perfect child. That every single time that that daughter or son of God is doing something that's pushing the kingdom of God forward, that's living what God created and grafted them to do, God is just smiling down and saying, that's my son, that's my daughter. We have to understand how much God loves us because there's churches out there that don't preach about God's love like we do here. And I feel so bad for the people that are in this rut that aren't, they're not, they don't understand God's love. They, all they do is they understand man's condemnation and saying, this is God, this is God, this is God. But condemnation comes from man, conviction comes from God. And what God is saying, conviction is really just another tool of showing how much he loves you. And every single human being, it is in our fiber to know what is right and what is good. So that's why when you do, when you do something inappropriate, when you do something wrong, you feel bad about it. If you asked your, ever asked your question, have you ever asked yourself this question, who said murder was wrong? Who said stealing was wrong? And I would say that it is engraved in each one of our heads, in our very fiber of our being, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we know what is right and we know what is wrong. And he's giving you this conviction because he loves you. He's giving you those things in his fiber because he loves you, because he knows the harm that it does to you. 
God loves you with every fiber, every single fiber. And what's crazy is he doesn't have to, but he chooses to. He could have created us just to to worship him. He could have created us or there wouldn't be relationship. He could have created us for all these other things, but the reason he created us was so we could be in relationship with him. And because he loves his creation. He loves us. Church, understand. Understand how much he loves you and it will drastically change every part of your life. You will be able to reciprocate that love to others. You will be able to forgive more easily. You will be able to give more grace in certain situations where you thought it would never be possible. You'll be able to do all these things, all of these things, once you can truly understand God's love for you. And guess what? It gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It never ends. It's an endless well of the love that he has for us. You will constantly be discovering and seeing things more and more of how much he loves you. It's not like just today, not just this weekend. It's not a one time a thing. It constantly is going deeper and deeper. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we honor you. We honor you. Lord, it is so humbling to be in a place of understanding that you love us. That out of all the names you could have gone by, you chose Abba, you chose Father. Because Lord, you wanted our mind to understand that it's a family. It's a family. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. Mm. None of us deserve it, but you've given it to us. And I pray if there's one thing that people walk away from today, Jesus, it's understanding how much you love them. Lord, we lay down any pride that could get in the way. Lord, anybody that's fallen in these traps, Jesus, I pray that you would reach your arm down and help them. Lord, that you would tell them that there is hope. And all they have to do is look up and grab your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, even as we're locked into our houses, let people experience your love. We may not be together as a church, but that doesn't stop the church. So Jesus, go into every single living room, whether they hear this message a year down the road, a day after, or this week in Jesus, whether they're driving or eating Jesus, reach out of the headphones, reach out of the speaker, and just show them the love that you have for them. Let them to be able to comprehend how much you love them, how much you love us, how much you love me. And for the people that have experienced that love, Lord, I pray that they would be able to go deeper in understanding your love, that they would go deeper and deeper and Lord, that they would be so satisfied by you. I thank you for the heart that you have for us. 
You are worthy of everything. Everything. In Jesus' name, amen.